Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 346. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you for taking some time to join me today. I'm excited to talk to our guest today, Christian Essman the Director of Admissions at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. Now, I came across Christian when he was promoting his new podcast, All Access Med School Admissions. And I was like, ooh, another podcast out in the pre-med world. I have to talk to this guy. And so I reached out to him and he's like, oh, I know of you and your podcast. I would love to come on the show. And so I'm excited to talk to him today about the admissions process, transparency, which as this podcast is coming out, it was a month ago that I was talking in Toronto to other admissions committee members and deans and directors of admissions about transparency in the process to help improve the admissions process for pre-meds. So we had a great chat about the admissions process in general for students, and I hope you get a ton out of it. Let's go ahead and jump in, say hello to Christian, and I'll chat with you on the other side. Christian, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Ryan. It's really a pleasure to be here. Really quite honored. I'm excited to talk to someone high up in the admissions world and another podcaster. But I want to start with how you got involved in the whole medical school admissions world to begin with. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. Is uh, This wasn't my career choice, you know, when I was in high school or something that I wind up in admissions someday, but it was kind of an evolution over time. Um, I too was pre-med at one point, but I ultimately kind of decided when I was in my early 20s, looking back now, I realized seeing these students now, like I was nowhere near the level of maturity that these kids are. I just, and I, look, I think about it now, like I, I don't know that I could ever have delivered bad news to somebody when I was at that age and do it in a very sensitive way. And as you should be doing. So I look back now, like that's a good, that's a good move. So, but I was always interested in healthcare. 
And so I worked in some emergency departments uh, for a little while. And then I got involved working with, there's a network of organ procurement organizations around the country and they're nonprofits and they're partnered with local transplant centers. And their job is to help coordinate donated organs and tissues to local transplant centers. So I started doing that in Columbus, Ohio, for an organization called Lifeline of Ohio, doing recovery of uh, and preservation of organs and tissue with some transplant surgeons from Ohio State. And so I did that for a few years. And then I was dating my wife up in Cleveland at the time. And so I started looking for opportunities in the Cleveland area and got with the organ procurement organization up here called LifeBank. And I was doing more professional education. Fast forward through that. And I started teaching. I created an elective at Case Western's Medical School to teach first and second year students about organ donation and transplantation, along with a transplant surgeon from university hospitals. And so I was working here for a while. I mean, just doing this couple days a week teaching. I'm like, this is a pretty cool place. And I like the vibe. I like the students, the culture. And serendipitously, the admissions office was undergoing some restructuring because a previous dean was retiring and he'd been there for 25 years. And he was kind of the guy who was there every day, all day. And so they created this position of director of admissions um, and they made the the dean for admissions more of a part-time, a clinical position, part-time clinical, part-time administrative. And so Dr. Maida is my dean of admissions, and she's a nuclear radiologist at University Hospitals. And so she's there most of the time, but then she stops over here. So I'm here full-time. And that was coming up on 14 years ago in sep- this coming September. So I haven't worked a day since. <laughs> so I, the pre-med student is picturing you sitting in your office. And, and when you first take this job, you're like, yes, I want to be the one who crushes the dreams of all of these students. <laughs> what's, what's the mindset of someone sitting in the office who, who really has to say no to many more people than they say yes to? Yeah, it's uh, I. That's a good question, right? I frequently tell people there are no, there are very few slam dunk decisions in this position, and it's tough. I mean, we have to make judgment calls, and you, we see there, there's not a lot of black and white in it when you're reviewing applications. There's a lot of gray area in there, and you hope that. Just I know you spoke with Sunny last. Or I listened to the podcast with Sunny. Oh, I love Sunny uh, from Riverside. She it was outstanding, and yeah. she is uh, she's just something else. And she said a lot of things. I'm in the car listening. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so right. We say a lot of the same things, just sometimes differently. Mm-hmm. And you hope that when you have to turn down an applicant, when they ha- might have the all the things you're kind of looking for, but you just don't have. You can't interview. 6,000 people. So you hope that maybe they don't get an interview here, but boy, I hope they're getting an interview someplace else. And so it, it's it's not easy. But um, at the end of the day, if it wasn't me here making those decisions, it'd be somebody else. Yeah. So it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't stop with me just not being here. If I wasn't here, somebody else would be doing it and making those decisions too. So you you do your best, and a lot of them, a lot of decisions that we make aren't made alone. We we have several screening processes, and a lot of schools do this, where it's not usually a one man show or a one woman show making decisions. It's usually a committee or a, a team of people that are making decisions on application on applicants. All right, I want to dive into admissions uh, hardcore since sure. that's who you are. But I I have a a medical school interview 
question for you. Okay. okay. Based on your background, should we, to, to potentially increase the uh, amount of organs available, should we as a country switch to an opt-out organ donation system? Oh, here comes the bioethical <laughs> question. Uh, well, some states are in that position that you opt out. Ohio is an opt out um, state. And so you have to, if I remember correctly, when I have my driver's license renewed, you you have to tell them you don't want to be an organ and tissue donor. Yeah. So some states have already passed that legislation. I can't tell you the ones that don't have it, but I think the, the motion is and the precedent has already been set that it is um, legislatively been decided that in order to increase organ and tissue donors, this this should be um, something that people have to opt out of. Because generally, I, I think the OPOs have found that when the it's not a conversation that sometimes comes up at home, but when it does come up, it's usually under the worst circumstances. And when people sit back and think about it and talk about it with their loved ones, um, they're like, you know what? dad would have wanted this or, you know, our brother would have wanted this. And so they have to make the decision at that time, which is not always easy. Um, but most people do go through with it and say, yeah, I think let's go ahead and do this. But boy, it would have been easier with having that already on the driver's license or indicated in some advanced directives that um, they've already, we, the decision has been made for us. We just want to confirm it with you. We, we have, um, documentation that your loved one wanted this to happen. We just want to work with you to make their wishes, um, uh, you know, go through with that. So that's how usually the the approach goes. So I would say, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all for it, but I'm sure there's some arguments out there that um, that people would say that it should be an opt in, which it has been historically. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm all for opt out. That that was good. Let me ask the interview. How did I do? (laughs) Step one, (laughs) never ask the interviewer how you did. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. So I am yeah, all for uh, opting out. My my dad was a type one diabetic, needed a kidney, was on a kidney transplant list for a long time. And so I have um, just some personal bias for that. But it's interesting. The data shows that, I mean, human psychology is we're more apt to stick with the default. Um, yeah. And so if the default yeah. is yes, then the majority of people will do that. And if you have religious or other um, issues yeah, if you with feel it, strongly you no. against it, you're going to seek it out and opt out. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. all right. Side uh, that that question aside, let's talk about the just sheer amount of applications you get. And we talked a little bit about just kind of that understanding of, of that you're going to have to say no, but there are lots of great applicants who are applying mm-hmm. and, and maybe they're just not a good fit for your school. Now, we were talking before I hit record about the conference that I was at and and talking about transparency or or lack thereof from medical schools about the whole admissions process and what you are looking for potentially in an applicant. But more importantly, you you talked about kind of the the screens and you were talking more about human screeners. um, But a Mm -hmm. lot of schools have kind of digital, the digital shredders, I call them, where mm-hmm. you just don't meet cutoffs. There are some schools out there who proudly um, display their cutoffs. UCLA was in the news recently for upping yeah. their, their yeah. minimums. Why do you think schools uh, are, are potentially a little bit more hesitant on not talking about those minimums? Hmm. Let's try to get in the heads of those <laughs> institutions. Um, well, let, let's talk about Case Western, do do you yeah. guys display minimums? 
Right. We so we put all of our stats out on our website for the entering class mm-hmm. and and put ranges, the ranges that are there. I think it's um, important not just to put the average or median of the metrics, but to also put the ranges mm-hmm. so people can see the range, the you know, the breadth with which your the incoming class looks like. Now, I wish that um, maybe we should go a step further, and this may include all schools that we should not only put advertise what we who matriculated but also who we accepted because sometimes that range is even a little bit broader oh yeah so at case western we allow all of our applicants who have a verified amcas application we invite all of them to complete the secondary and really leave it incumbent upon them if they want to continue the process with us or not it's kind of the customer should be aware they they've seen the metrics and if they want to give it a shot you know, I, we should. We feel like we shouldn't tell them no. There's always going to be students that I'm sure the schools that maybe have cutoffs. I bet they get correspondence from some students say, "Hey, I just missed your cutoff. Can I? Can I please apply?" I have to believe that exists because some kids just want to have a shot and say, "Can you please take a look at me?" Yeah, so I'm, I'm a great I, applicant. I'm just my stats. Yeah, my stats are a little exactly. low. Exactly. Yeah. So I. I guess on one hand, I can see why some schools do it. I bet they do it maybe from a more of a perspective of, look, this is what kind of our metrics are for students that we look we look at, and we usually don't go below these. We don't want to take your money. Yeah. And so maybe it's more of a cruel to be kind mm-hmm. kind of scenario where, yeah. you know, let's just, we don't want to crush your dreams down the road and and take your money at the same time. Um, at the, on the other hand, I could see where you might miss good applicants because they just miss some kind of metric cutoff. And maybe that's sometimes more of your non-traditional students that have that bring a lot of interesting backgrounds and dynamics to a school or to a, a learning environment where, you know, you might miss out on somebody like that. Yeah, it's hard. And it's it's interesting. I think because of my audience, a, a large uh, a large percentage of them are non-traditional students, but also a large percentage are underrepresented minorities uh-huh. um, and and coming from backgrounds where they can't afford a lot of uh, applications to schools and those secondary applications. And, yeah. and I've just seen horror stories of, of the fee assistance program and being denied that because, oh, uh-huh. my, my mom had to take some money from her 401k and they counted that as income, even though she always yeah. meets yeah. that cutoff. It's and rough. so it's just, oh, it's terrible. But but a school that has those that that data available to to let the student know, right? Don't don't waste your application here. Mm-hmm. Um, it is cruel, but it's also kind because then it's another application that they can potentially send to another school. Yeah, um, but it's definitely hard, right? Yeah. And, there are schools out there potentially um, you have the 32 hour rule at some schools where it's like, Hey, for the non-traditional student, you may have been kicked out of your, your first undergrad, but if you've come back and you have 32 hours of, of credits, we're going to count that as your GPA or uh, some medical schools. I know uh, at least one who I've talked to, uh, I don't think it's public knowledge. I talk about it a bunch, but um, one school who, um, only looks at the last 20 hours of science credits, right? That's We're going to calculate your GPA based on that. And, wow. and we're not going to judge you for, for stumbling starting school. We're not going to judge you for having a bad breakup in your sophomore yeah. year oh, or your man. mom or dad dying. We're going to look at your last 20 credits of science. And if you've done well with that, we're going to consider you good enough to do well in our school. Wow, um, that's interesting. Yeah. And so 
if a school were again transparent about that, then the student can go, okay, I I have a chance here. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't know how much you talk to pre-meds, but the majority of time, the pre-meds are just looking at the MSAR going, okay, here's my GPA. Here's my MCAT score. I'm going to apply to all the schools that I'm close yeah. to the, what they call the average. They don't understand that it's the median number on there. Yeah. Um, yep. And and so it, they're missing a large opportunity to number one, do a lot more research into the schools. And I want to talk to you about that in a second, but mm-hmm. that number two, they're, they're also missing out because it's, it's not a full range, right? And I, t- I talked about, and my talk in Toronto, kind of the the box and whisk, whisker graph, where it actually shows kind of the low range and the high range mm-hmm. of, of what schools are accepting. And obviously, uh, previous, right, just like the stock market, previous uh, performance doesn't predict future um, performance, but it's, right. it's yeah, hard. It's, it is, it's tough. And it just, I think it also comes back just to the sheer volume. I think students are applying to more schools these days than they have in the past it's kind of like the residency applications now in a way. I mean, so many medical students are just blasting out residency applications just because just to try to increase your opportunities. Yeah. And do you uh, think that's a it, symptom of a lack of transparency though? For residency? No, for medical or, schools. Oh, for medical schools. Yeah. Uh, potentially. I guess that it's, it's hard to say. Well, it, I guess it also kind of depends on you know your geography. Where do you live that you need to apply you know, we all think we all know that the students in California, they have <laughs> most of them have to apply to a gob of schools out east. Yeah. Because there's only a handful of medical schools in, in the state of California. And then the ones that are around them in the West are my, a lot of big state schools. Yep. So that's why a lot of our institutions farther out east uh, have a large component of our classes are comprised of Californians, which is great. We love them, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, but that that I think that they so those students have to apply to a lot of different institutions. I you know I do a lot of advising from time to time with success with unsuccessful applicants, and the first question is, so where would you apply? Yeah, just to kind of see what they're doing, and sometimes it's just when they give you or show you the list, it's and you look at their profile, and it's kind of yeah. like, why do boy, I wish we could have stepped in a little earlier, yeah. and maybe did you think about, and then we'd like, where are you going to apply next? And so yeah. let's talk about some schools to add to that list, or maybe pare down a little bit, yeah. and look at some other schools, and tell them, look, you're not going to get a bad education anywhere in the United States. Yep, we're all accredited by the same body. Yep, so. You know, that's so if you get in somewhere and, you know, you don't whatever, like just go and don't look back, go and don't look back. Yeah. But but top 20, Christian, top 20. I mean, (laughs) that's how I get a good career. Top 20. Right. Well, it is between going to medical school and not. So I think you yeah yeah, go If, if you go look at it and just if you get in someplace, go. Don't worry about the bumper sticker. Right. Don't worry. Just go to medical school. That's what your goal is. But if your goal is to go to medical school and go to top 20, 25 or whatever medical school, then then you have to know that that's buyer beware. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've talked to way too many students, unfortunately, who who want that that prestige and they get there and they're like, oh, I'm I'm miserable. Like the, the culture here just isn't me. Um, but they, they, they were blind the going into, they, they didn't want to see that probably yeah. during their visit or something, but let's talk about a cocktail party. Yeah. Let's talk about that culture and, and more specifically mission. I, I think a lot of students, I was talking about how the majority of pre-med students just kind of 
go, okay, here are my stats. I'm going to apply to all the schools that also meet to these stats. And they, they kind of ignore, uh, out of state, public out of state schools who barely admit, uh, out of state applicants, but they're like, oh, but my stats match. Um, Mm -hmm, but, but mm -hmm. students are also ignoring mission, uh, the school's mission. It's something, uh, I forget if Sonny talked about it on the podcast, uh, but, it was something we talked about a bunch either offline or at the admission summit as well was right. If, if you want to be a dermatologist, right. She's at university of California, Riverside. Yeah. yeah. Uh, don't, don't apply to my school. We don't have a dermatology residency associated with the school. We don't, we barely have any dermatologists in the area for you to mm-hmm. shadow and, and network with. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, the mission of, case western and and how you're evaluating students based on that outside of stats yeah uh, at our school we i think nationally case western is known as being as a research intensive institution and uh, the entire university is and that's sometimes how we get up on people's radar and we're the largest biomedical research institute in the state of ohio so there's there's a lot of opportunity here for students who like research not just in the medical school but other other departments and centers around the campus but that i do know that that sometimes deters from some students from applying to us because they say well, i don't have research or i don't have a lot of research or bench research and i think we're known for that there's opportunities for students to do research here they have to do research in our curricula but um you don't have to have it coming in. And so we look for that kind of stuff too. Like if they don't have research, well, what else do they have? And usually the student that doesn't have research experience, they've been involved in something else really in depth and kind of gone deep in some area, or they're a student athlete and they just don't have as many hours in the days as you'd like to do athletics, academics, and all the extra stuff, extracurriculars and including research. So we try to kind of put all that together um, the mission at our university is um, it's, a, it's a research bend, but I, I say that we try to kind of look at that. How do we balance a class? We don't we want to make sure that not everybody who chooses to come here loves research. They know they have to do it and they're interested in doing it. But um, there's some students who choose to come to us because of the clinical opportunities. And on the other hand, students come to us because they know the research opportunities. So it's kind of a nice balance to try to strike. Um, but we do want to test and make sure like they don't say, I hate research. I don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole because then I know you're going to be grouchy for four months in your third year when you have to do a research project. Yeah. Does that, is that kind of help? Yeah, no, it does. The, the one thing that you mentioned that I want to dig into a little bit more is, is you're not looking for students, every one of them who has done research. And it's something I talk a ton about. And I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of students ignore me when I say it, um, that that medical schools and the admissions committees aren't looking for the the 4.0, 520 MCAT. It's, it's not just that. They're looking to build a community of students. Um, and, and I joke, I'm like, okay, we need three jocks. We need, yeah, we need yeah. four non-trads. And you're trying to build a, a small little village of students and each one of them brings something different to the table. How do you, how do you figure that out as an admissions committee? I think when you get to the admissions committee point, when somebody's invited, when you get a, a, a pool of students that are brought in for interviews over the course of the, of months, 
you know, at that point, everybody's metrics are in the same range. Like they're in the same uh, area. And, you know, some medical schools blind their interviewers to the metrics, to the academics, because they don't want that bias. Sometimes yeah. if you interview somebody and they have a 4.0, and in an MCAT score that's through the roof and they got extra credit on it, you're kind of already almost biased sometimes, just maybe consciously or unconsciously. Say, well, they're, they're not great in person, but gosh, they have great metrics. It's hard <laughs> to say no, you know. Yeah. But so now a lot of schools are blinding interviewers to that because we just want the interviewers to know like, look. Hey, if they're sitting in front of you, we've deemed them, as far as we can tell, to be academically viable at the institution. So you just focus on these things. Don't worry. Don't be biased one way or the other. Or if they if they would see a lower GPA, they might say, well, I've seen stronger students academically. But sometimes <laughs> that's not you – know, we feel like it, we've had other students that have, have had slightly lower creds. And we're like, they've done spectacular as medical students. So, um, so I think to get back to – at the at the time of interview, all those students are pretty much, we've felt like, hey, these are viable medical students. That's how they get the academics, get your foot in the door. It's everything else that keeps you in the game. And so at that point, it comes down to people's backgrounds and their the things they're bringing to the table, whether they're uh, it's their personality or some of their experiences. or And it's just... I, I don't know that we're not, like you said, it's not like, all right, we need three people that did TFA. All right. We need a f- couple <laughs> Fulbrights. Okay. Uh, we need some big MCAT score people. All right. Got them. Like, that that doesn't work that way. Yep. I think once you get into the admission committee meetings, it's less so about their academics and how spectacular they are, but more so how did they project themselves? What was their presentation like? How did they interact with not only their interviewers, but others on the interview day. And I think then we're getting down to, we, you mentioned before, to kind of fit to the institution and to the curriculum as far as we can tell. So it, it comes down to other things that are a little more nuanced than the, just the, the, the numbers on the paper or the numbers on the, you know, the screen that we're looking at uh, when reviewing applicants. Talk about how a student can appropriately communicate their fit to the school. I, I think a lot of students will will say, I I looked at all of the school's missions that I applied to and they, they just all look the same. And yeah, they kind of stop short at that. Um, what is a, a, a qualified applicant, somebody who who you're reaching out and saying, yeah, we, we want you, how are they communicating fit to your school? Uh, in, in a couple ways, I think it starts with the, we, in, in something in the application or some things in the application I mean, things we value, some of the things we value and a lot of other schools, we're not indifferent than other schools. Uh, we have a lot of curricular now are small group based um, curricular models. And so you're looking for people that like to play with others, collaborate. And we don't expect that all applicants that we think are going to be successful here have a lot of small group case-based learning in their undergraduate experiences. Very few colleges offer that, but you can glean from their application opportunities where they have interacted and had to collaborate with others and compromise and learn and grow in those, some of those small group projects or some of the activities they've been involved in where they were on a board or they were worked in a group um, or even in a, an employment situation where you're on, you know, you're working at like Panera and you're on the sandwich team or something like it, that's those are translatable skills. People shouldn't just 
disqualify them just because it's not medically related. So we try to tease out some of that stuff at the application level. And then at the interview level, how does an applicant kind of show that they feel they're a good fit? Well, it comes back to how the applicant then presents or responds to some of the questions and and says some things like, you know, I, I've done my homework on this institution. I, I really, I think it speaks to me. And you have to do it in a, in a way that's like not too like like you're selling a car kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, just to say I have experience working in small groups and that's what really speaks to me about this institution. That's one of the things. And uh, I noticed in your curriculum, I did my homework and you do a lot of um, I'll just say, for example, there's the research component. I've done some research. I really enjoy it. But boy, I can't wait to do something at a different level when I get to medical school. Um, it things like, so find things in the curriculum that kind of jump out at you that you're really interested in or say, Hey, I, I noticed that you have, um, a medical Spanish elective and some of your students go to Peru in the summer. Boy, that sounds great. I have a Spanish background. I, I my chops aren't that, aren't that strong right now, but boy, I'd love to be able to do that medical Spanish elective and maybe, you know, build my chops up and go there someday. That that's really excites me or get involved in your community here. I noticed I did some research and you have a large Puerto Rican population in the near West side of town. I do medical students do any work over there. I mean, you could really, if you, if the applicant does their homework and asks perceptive questions that can sometimes then help facilitate some of these conversations or kind of gently interject them in your responses. But without, with that, again, that balance there where you're not getting too kind of car salesman-y, you know, in a way it's like too disingenuous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that students it's not really easy. struggle with. <laughs> yeah. It's is, not easy. Is, is, is saying, Oh, look at, look at me. Each experience has taught me, teamwork and communication and right. blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, just, just tell your story and, and yeah, let, yeah. let the story show that it's mm-hmm. hard. It's definitely, but a- I think too, um, again, it can start at the application level uh, some schools, including case we have an optional essay on our secondary it says, if there's anything else that's not captured in your application, you know, AMCAS is very deep and we get a, your entire life history basically, but is there anything else that's not in here that you want to tell us about? Here's an opportunity. So it's optional. And I know other schools do this too. That could be an option, a place where, where you can write something about what you've learned so far. I'm like, boy, I'm not, I keep saying boy. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm not from the Cleveland area, but what I've read about so far about Cleveland or about Case Western, I'm really excited. Oh, I have friends that go there or I applied there as an undergrad. I didn't choose to go there, but it was high up on my list. I'd love to have the opportunity to come back. I hope you take a close look at me. And it says optional, but I'm going to tell you what, when my kids apply to college, anything that's optional, it's not optional for them. Yeah. <laughs> so it's optional for everybody else, but not you. <laughs> so I don't think there's not like a game there that we put optional and it really isn't. But it, if you do have something you want to share, or that's a place where you can go, hey, maybe we don't see in the application that that you have a connection to the city, but say, Oh, I I have family from there. Uh, I visited there a few times, really liked it. I'd love to come back. I can't wait to see it kind of thing. You could really, and that's some, another place where you can start to kind of show a genuine interest. Cause sometimes we're like, I wonder what the connection is here. Yeah. This person's from Southern California and has never been in the cold at all ever. Right. And we don't, we get that though, that, that again, applicants have to, from different geographies have to apply to broadly. Yep. And, but if there is a connection, 
um, you know, then put it out there. I, you know what, Ryan, I've even had people say you, you've met Ian, you've talked to Ian Drummond before. Yep. Uh, he does the undifferentiated medical student podcast this last year. I had students filling out that optional essay saying I became aware of your institution because of the Tums podcast. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, just it was kind of cool. Yep. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. It definitely helps to, to get some exposure to, to let people understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about your podcast. You've, you've entered the <laughs> podcasting world yeah. and you are doing something that, that I want to do and whatever you've mentioned other students are trying to do. Um, and that's really to, to really increase transparency in this mm-hmm. admissions world. What was your motivation for starting your podcast, all access med school admissions? Yeah. Thanks. For, um, thanks for asking. I, it's something that I've been thinking about for actually a couple years and it actually started when mentioning Ian Drummond from the under undifferentiated medical student, he came to me because he was mulling this his idea around. I said, we kind of came up with, this would be an awesome show idea to interview medical schools just to kind of make it, you know, let's talk with, get medical schools an opportunity to have their voice heard. Mm-hmm. And so that took a couple of years to kind of get into a place in my life and with time at work time that I could do this because as you know, it takes <laughs> a lot of time to do a podcast if you really want to do it well. And um, so what I wanted to do is I kept thinking back. I, I've been, as I said earlier, I've been doing this now a while and I've made a lot of relationships and friendships with admissions people from around the country. And they're all so much fun and delightful people and really interesting. And we all, ha- we do things the same, but we do things differently. And I, I thought this would be a great opportunity to say, Hey, let's talk about, Hey, let's get on there. Uh, Dr. Nobe from Rochester. Let's talk about Rochester. Tell us everything that's cool about Rochester. And then let's talk about how you get in here and go through the process of what the application process is like. What are you looking for? If we can pull it out of them. So I try to pull it out of them sometimes, but sometimes I find my guests are a little, a little hesitant to kind of get too uh, detailed. But I, those are the questions I'm trying to ask them like, hey, let's get some curricular highlights. Tell us what is unique or cool about your school and or how it's set up and then let's talk about all right how do you get in here and what the interview day is like what can people expect when they show up to your to your institution on an interview day what's the interview how many interviews do you have what is is it scripted is it open file like just kind of get into those kind of detailed things and then just kind of wrap it up with you know what happens after acceptance you know what is there anything else we need to know about your institution so um I, they've been clocking in a little, I, I try to keep it under an hour, but I just can't. And then we, we do, and then we do some listener question kind of things. Well, let's, let's, let's go over a topic and kind of pound through some answers to some commonly asked questions that I think a lot of pre-meds have and that, that I receive on my end and say, Hey, this, I think this would speak to a lot of people. I'm sure others have this question. Let's kind of banner back and forth about what we think about it. And so far in the, the few episodes that I have, there's been some themes coming up where a lot of people are saying a lot of the same things. And I hope that as listeners go through each episode, they kind of, they hear these themes and go, okay, like this sounds consistent. It sounds like consistent advice. Maybe I should stick with that. And kind of going back to <laughs> what you said, But it's not what Ryan, Student Doctor Network says. <laughs> yeah. But, but what you said earlier is like, you, you said, Ryan, that you advise students and they're like, you know, they don't listen to me. Yep. And what I want them to hear is like, yeah, you're hearing it from Ryan or you're hearing it for your pre-med advisor. And now you're hearing it from us. And hopefully you it's now you can 
go to bed at night and sleep going, okay, I know I'm making the right decision because it sounds like, like I'm getting consistent advice now. I also decided to do this too, because I know there's a lot of um, potential applicants out there that don't have consistent advising. They go, they go to colleges and universities that may or may not have a pre-health or pre-med advisor, or they they have an academic advisor, but their specialty is not in this whole medical school application process. And so I wanted to try to give, and there's a lot of resources out there. Yours, your pre-med years is a perfect example. And there's other resources like the careers in medicine, or the, I'm sorry, the um, inspiring docs that AAMC has a lot of, our, a lot of resources are out there, but just to keep complimenting them and, and to say, you know, here's more consistent advice and you're getting it from two admissions people. Yeah. And, and I hope I, I, I would recommend or encourage you to, to reach out to the NAAHP, the advisors, um, kind of national society mm-hmm. and, and get them listening because there, there was a, a story recently. I was talking to a student who got her MCAT score back and reached out to her advisor and her advisor was like, Oh, you, you shouldn't apply to medical school this cycle. You need to improve your MCAT. And mm-hmm. she, she got a 510. And oh. a, a great student, non-traditional student, has been a teacher for several years, uh, wanted to go back and, and go to medical school, um, decent decent GPA, just all around mm-hmm. great student who a lot of schools are going to want. And yeah. I was like, wow. And, and I posted it on Instagram. And then I, I just got a flood of messages from students saying, this is what my advisor told me, or this is what uh, my advisor did. Yeah. And it was just, I was just heartbroken at just so many dreams being crushed by just bad information. And so if we can get, as I keep talking about this transparency, if we can get Mm -hmm. more transparency from the admissions departments Mm -hmm. at each of the schools, then that will hopefully trickle down to the advisors at the undergrad level. And Ryan, that's, that was another reason why I kind of, it was kind of a secondary reason was the first primary was let's get some more information out to students, admissions, people getting, consistent information out to prospective applicants and then maybe their advisors can start to hear these too and i did you know i you saw the email i put it out on the on the listserv for the pre-health advisors but to, for some of them because there's always new advisors coming in and for them maybe to listen to some of these episodes and say i'm not familiar with this institution i'll listen to it and learn more about it that way maybe i can advise future students to say hey have you thought about you know x medical school uh, i heard a little bit about them they sound like you and them might be a good fit. Um, but I think advisors have a tough job and you, you, there's always probably some details that we don't know about that are in the conversation or not. Maybe the student that got the advice, maybe their advisor isn't in the pre-health world. They're, they're just the, they're an academic advisor. Mm. And from what they've heard, I mean, we have some situations in our community, a a case where some advisors, this is not their primary job. Yeah. It is to help guide students through the um, application process. So they go with maybe what they've heard and they try to do their best. But um, advisors have a tough job and because they have to sometimes have to um, give some students a dose of reality, which is I, I know it's not easy. And they have to try to, you know, encourage students to, you know, to swing, swing for the fences kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I don't envy their position because I know they're, they're doing what they think is best. For the student, but I, I get it. There's probably some situations where it just doesn't add up or doesn't make sense, right? Like, like your example, it's like, wow, well, that's interesting. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some, you know, it's someplace down the middle there that uh, something was 
I'd like to hear what the advisor had to say, or maybe what their rationale was, <laughs> good, right? Good political answer there, Christian. Yeah, well, um, I mean, it's hard. These, Definitely. These, we're, we're all in this together. Yeah. And um, I just, they have a tough job. Yeah. And, uh, and we're definitely and, in a generation of students with eighth, eighth place trophies. And my mommy said I'm yeah. perfect. And, yeah. and so they're dealing with that as well. It's, it's definitely yeah. a, a hard gig for, for everybody. And, and one more thing about that. A lot of them are, they don't have big, they don't have a big staff. It's like yeah. one or two advisors for a sea of pre-med students. Mm-hmm. And so maybe sometimes they just have to go like, Hey, this is what the numbers are telling us. We're looking at the data. I, I it, this is a, my best advice to you is maybe it's not going to cut muster. Yeah. Um, so I, but Hey, if you want to give it a shot and prove me wrong, then prove me wrong. Yeah. Go and, and even schools like we talked about California, U, UCLA every year pumps out the most pre-meds who are applying yeah. to school and they don't have a, a pre-health office. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Exactly. It's crazy. There's a lot. There's a, there are some schools that have the very decentralized advising, and if it's kind of sink or swim mentality, and if you can make it through, like, wow, you know, we. And I think medical schools just know. I think listeners should know. A lot of medical school admissions offices know these things yeah. about these institutions to say, well, they come from an institution that doesn't have a lot of advising. This is you got to keep that in mind. And I think our the, the medical students that are on. Admissions committees also help bring us down to earth sometimes mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, I went to that school. Let me tell you, like, it is you, you're scraping to find info, consistent information, because there's not a lot of advising. So they can also make it real for us, too, and go, oh, yeah, we need to kind of pull back a little bit and not be so harsh. Good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. So they're they're helpful to kind of remind us and kind of bring us back into place, maybe. Well, let's talk about a student who may be at a university who doesn't have great pre-med advising or no pre-med advising, or maybe a non-traditional student who doesn't have access to anybody. A lot of students aren't aware that they can, or maybe they're scared to reach directly out to you guys and to your staff to ask mm-hmm. questions. Talk about how a student can do that appropriately. Yeah, well, well when I'll back up and say there are there are a lot of great resources. The AAMC has a pretty strong set of resources on their website for prospective students, kind of walking students through a count, you know, a, a timeline of processes that needs to take place. And there's some YouTube videos and stuff out there. I would stick with start with maybe the AAMC uh, places and certainly established um <clears throat> advising resources like like your uh, like pre-med years you know that mm-hmm. that really you've been doing this a while and it's your information's consistently it's consistent with other things um with other resources but then i think if students they don't know where to reach out to or they don't have an advisor you call out to medical schools through their their uh, email addresses their general contact or call the general number it's tough um going back to staffing i think Listeners should know that a lot of medical school admissions offices are small teams. I mean, um, sometimes they're just two staff people in in some places, or um, or as high as make maybe six or seven. Compared to undergraduate admissions, like they have armies of people sometimes, and with regional advisors, and it, it's very different. Like as a, if you were applying from high school to college, you had a a, a regional counselor, you could like a point person you could go to. Mm. They don't have that for medical school levels for the most part. That. It's usually just a bare bones staff. And so sometimes the questions, you know, we can say, oh, let's let's give this person an advising appointment, you know, or let's just try to answer their question via email. One 
piece of advice I would say, if you're writing an email question, say, hey, I don't have any advising, but I have a question. Try to just limit it to one or two questions. <laughs> Sometimes I open up some of those emails and like your I just eyes cross. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> like, here's my 10 questions. And, and they're really, I mean, they're really detailed. Like, okay, when I was a sophomore and I was involved in this, it's like, oh my, I, you can't, we, we don't have, but sometimes you don't have the bandwidth yeah. to kind of pour through that. So I would say, keep it to a, a brief intro and say, it, I would, you'd be my best friend. If you <laughs> answered this one question, I would be so grateful. Yeah. And then just kind of stick to that and then see, maybe the door will open, you know? And then if, if you do get a response from somebody, I think it's appropriate to reply back and say, thank you. Yes. And say, Hey, thank you so much for your time. It was really helpful. If, if you ever feel like it's, I, I have more questions, but I'm want to be respectful of your time. If you ever feel it would be an opportunity for me to talk to you by phone or Skype or something, I, I would love to have that opportunity. I do have more questions, but I, I want to be respectful of your time. Somebody may, you know, have go up. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Like, that's really nice that they acknowledge my time. And, and uh, yeah, what, what else do you have to talk about? Send me another question or let's pop on the phone another week. So I think that's a key point is just be brief don't get too detailed. Yeah. Hopefully that's helpful. It's very helpful. Thank you. So Christian, all access to med school admissions everywhere where podcasts are heard, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that fun stuff. iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Stitcher. All right. Got to get, got to get get on on Spotify. Yep. I'm on Spotify. Yeah. But I could not get on Google. Okay. We'll work on that. I'll help you there. We're, we're, we're a Gmail school yeah. and, or Gmail institution, uh, Google apps. And it just, our, our university has like part shut down. <laughs> yeah, my account won't let me get onto Google play. So That's funny. I'm like, well, we'll stick with the other three and, right. and uh, hope for the best. I'll, I'll help you with that. Um, it looks like potentially a weekly schedule. What's, what's your plan for releasing so students can be aware of when to expect new episodes? <laughs> I think I think right now I'm looking at every two weeks. Okay. My limitations are my guest schedules, as I'm sure you're familiar. Yeah. And and then my time that it takes to uh, get this stuff teed up. And so I have some people on the books right now. Um, I would like to do it every week, but I think realistically, it's okay right now in the summertime. I probably could do it every week almost. But once we start getting into July and August when applications start to roll in and people are getting their last minute vacations in, I think it's going to take me a little bit more time, but this is my, my new pet project. And I'm, and the response has been incredibly positive and I'm very grateful to everybody who's kind of chimed in and, lo- and listened in on it. Uh, so I'm going to keep going and it, uh, their stats have helped me kind of get other guests on and say, Hey, look, this is getting a lot of, a lot of pub and a lot of traction. You, you got to check this out. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm on. I'm in. Yeah, I get it now. All right. So their data has helped me get more guests. So I'm really grateful for the, for the, the listens. All right. One last word of wisdom for yeah. the, the pre-med student out there who's, struggling, doubtful of their journey and and potential to be admitted somewhere? I would say only apply when you think you're putting your best foot forward. Um, if, if you're a rising senior, or if you if we're in the process right now where uh, people that are going to be seniors this coming fall, or could be so many applications right now. And if it just doesn't feel right, or you, you're like, oh, I wish I could, and I don't have this done, or I wish I had a little more of uh, shadowing or patient-based experience or something else, like hold off. 
this process is far too long. It's emotionally, financially, psychologically, it's a huge commitment. And you don't just want to throw an application out there and say, well, let's just see how it goes. And if I don't get in, I don't get in. I'll tell you what, I know those rejection emails and letters hurt. Regardless with going in on this, you're just like, I'm just going to see what happens. If I have to apply again, apply again, it still stings. So apply when you feel you can really put your best foot forward, because that's what's going to give you the edge, not just kind of a, a kind of a thin application, because that's not going to get through. And so even if you think you have the grades, but maybe there's other aspects of your application, boy, if you had more time, you'd like to shore it up, then take the time and take the time, apply a, a year afterward. And, and so I, I just... You really want to do this process one time and be done with it. <laughs> it's Not fun. You don't want to do it more than once. Yeah, boy, it's a great, it's a great outlay. It's fun know, and I, cheap. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that would be my, just make sure you're applying when you can put your best, the strongest application in front of somebody. And if that means taking a year or two to do that and to enjoy other things in your life before you start medical school, then do that. Because once you get on this train, it, as you know, it does not stop. All right, so there you have it. Again, Christian Esman from Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. You can find his podcasts at All Access Med School Admissions wherever you listen to podcasts. I want to encourage you to go listen to that podcast. He's had a ton of great guests already, a ton of great information that I know you can learn something from. So again, All Access Med School Admissions is where to find that podcast. Hope you enjoyed this show and this podcast. We have more great shows coming up for you. So don't forget to subscribe so you get our podcast every week right on your device for free. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.